From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. Welcome back to the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and I'm here again with Dr. Joseph DiPietro. This is actually part two of a discussion we began, and you can pick up that thread in part one. The subject is tech-mediated instruction. We're talking about blended learning and all the various ways of reaching learners through the means of technology online. So here's the conclusion of that discussion. So we want to see a peppering sort of of that asynchronous, the synchronous, the games, the simulations, the authentic activities. These are the types of things that we need to have if we're going to have a quality, engaging learning environment. Again, it can't just be a passive student-to-instructor learning environment where they're essentially looking at a PowerPoint in online fashion. That is not an online course, and that's not going to necessarily result in any type of learning. And a lot of questions uh, or a lot of folks ask me first thing, well, how do you define learning then? And to me, most simply, it's a change in behavior. So we have some sort of learning objective that we want the student to be able to complete or accomplish or demonstrate. Well, that's the behavior change we're looking for. Having them read a PowerPoint isn't necessarily going to bring that about. But crafting a thoughtful exercise where they can work with their peers, where they can work under the watch of the more knowledgeable other or the instructor, can help them reach those learning objectives in a measurable, you know, quantifiable fashion. So how does performance support play into all of this? So within instructional design, there's a tool called an Electronic Performance Support System, or EPSS. And different fields have different names for this. A lot of people call it performance learning, on-the-job tools, these types of things. Something like a PowerPoint or passive sort of connection where there's only student-to-content has its place, and it can be in that performance learning environment that you're referring to. So let's say that you are looking into... Uh, crafting a widget and you need to know specifications of analogous widgets so you know how to price them. Well, there may be some sort of learning module about widget pricing and you could refer to that and get the information that you need and move on. The thing is you already know and have that background knowledge or schema about all the processes related to the widget. You were only simply looking there for an example, maybe a little guidance, um, price information, something like that, something small, which is a, a just a piece of a larger puzzle, and we're able to piece that together through learning that. You have enough scaffolding to know how to fit that in. That's a great word for it, and that's actually a, the social constructivist sort of view. Vygotsky popularized that in, in the 70s, uh, always working in that zone of proximal development with the more knowledgeable others, sort of like a, a weightlifting analogy where if you're doing the bench press, you can always lift more if you have somebody there to spot you, and it may just be they slightly touch that bar to tap it to get you past that plateau, but it's the same thing with learning is you always want to sort of operate outside of your own perceived limitations and a more knowledgeable other, typically we think of that as a facilitator or a professor, someone like that can help you get there in a well-crafted either face-to-face -face or especially in a, a distance education or technology-mediated format. So we've been talking about technology-mediated instruction, and one of the bigger buzzwords in recent years has been the so-called flipped learning practice. It's a real trend. There are many ways it's being done. But let me ask, what is flipped? What's the best way to think about it? Uh, well, first, before we can talk about what a flipped classroom environment is, we have to talk about blended learning. And blended learning or hybrid learning typically combines your face-to-face -face instruction with some sort of online support. And 
organizations like the Online Learning Consortium define that as, you know, 51% or more. So you typically have uh, of your content being online. So you're, you're doing a substantial part of, of your learning online. So that's not to say that you're going to have a 16-week course and 15 of those courses are face-to-face and one course may be online. We're talking like an equal, you know, 8-8 maybe, you know, seven, nine type thing. You're splitting it up in a way that at least approximately half or so, you know, of your of your instruction is coming in both ways, and that's blended. And so you may have a week where you're having a discussion and then you're doing some online readings and postings, and then you come back and you have some discussions and so on, and sort of like ebb and flow, like a wave rolling through the semester. A flipped classroom is a very specific type of blended learning whereby – the student does a majority of the work outside of the class, and that work being they're preparing by watching videos, they're doing readings, they're actually preparing for the time they spend in the class under the watchful eye of that more knowledgeable other. So they're paying all these big bucks for this course, they're doing the readings, they're watching the videos, they're doing the postings, they're doing all that outside of the physical co-located face-to-face classroom so that when they get to that face-to-face classroom, they can really engage in group work. Uh, instructor-led activities, ask questions, sort of like uh, you think about tutoring or something. You know, you really are getting a meaningful, very rich learning experience because that student is prepared. And more importantly, they know where they're not prepared. So they know what their deficiencies are, and then that instructor is able, hey, I can help you with that. Whereas if you think about a traditional class, the student may come in, the instructor gives a lecture, student sort of fades out, you know, they don't pay any attention. They get home, they start the readings, they start the problems, and they realize, oh, I'm lost. They may come to the next class with questions, but the instructor has to give the lecture first and then may have time for, you know, questions at the end. So the student has all this new information, they're already behind, and so on. You can see how that sort of can, Mm -hmm. can be a slippery slope. Would it be fair to say that by itself it's not a new thing per se, but that with technology we're able to flip the lecture, flip these other things that may have been harder to do in the past. So people can experience the teacher, and and from an efficiency standpoint, the teacher can lecture once and it can be distributed across that and many other classes, but that we are redeeming that classroom time for hands-on and other valuable use Definitely, and I think that's affordance of online learning writ large, not specific to a flipped lesson, where the flipped lesson may be pre-prepared lectures, assignments, readings, those types of things the student would do outside of the class. They would come into the class. The instructor may not have a pre-prepared lesson. It may be the students are teaching the class or the students are asking the questions. The students are leading the discussion so that the instructor can be there to answer those specific and differentiated questions for each learner. Um, I think that the pre-prepared lessons or the ability to record what's happening in a class and then sharing it out, yeah, that's that's huge. But that's um, that's an affordance more of distance education as a whole, whereas, again, a flipped classroom is a very sort of regimented way where we're going to – you're going to work outside the class, we're going to do work inside the class. You're going to work outside the class, you're going to work inside the class, and so on. I think back to my own schooling, and there were many times I didn't prepare for a class because I knew coming in – this guy's just going to get up here and teach, you know, and talk for two and a half hours, and I'm not really going to engage with anybody, so he has no real way of measuring it. Um, you know, and unfortunately, that's the way that a lot of us a lot of us were taught, whereas in online learning, it, when it's done well, it's really hard to hide that way, you know, to, yes. to sort of lurk, if you will, to borrow a, a Lave and Wenger term. 
a lurker or someone, you know, that sort of just sits on the periphery and doesn't participate. A well-crafted online course doesn't really facilitate that. You know, they're, they're not going to allow that to happen, whereas so many folks slip through the cracks and an instructor, you know, may let it happen. I kind of took a dark turn there, but no. yeah. So um, and uh, for anybody who's interested in, in flipped learning, UCF, the University of Central Florida, has an amazing resource called the Blend Kit. And they actually teach online workshops for folks that are interested in that. It's an absolutely fabulous program. You can really learn a lot about it. And something that's evolving, all these definitions. I'm sure that, you know, somebody listens to this a year from now, they're going to be like, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Because these are very fluid terms and they do change. Um, but, yeah. The blend kit, excellent. Now, it's obviously becoming popular. But what is the correct approach to designing a, a flipped offering? That's a great question. Uh, you really want to start... With the end objectives in mind, and I like to do something uh, to borrow from Wiggins and McTeague called backwards design. And they were researchers that came up with this idea sort of, well, if this is what you want folks to do, how can we get them there? So you sort of plan backwards. So if you start with that and you know that at the end of this course, the student needs to do X, Y, and Z, well, how can we do that? Maybe we'll have Z be last and we'll say, okay, well, these three classes can lead to Z. The three classes before that will lead to Y. The three classes before that will lead to X. So then we'll start and we'll think about those incremental steps of how we can get those students to there. What portion of stuff can they do outside of the class? Readings, videos, forum discussions, group work. You know, what needs to be in class and what needs to be out of class? And sort of think about it in a thoughtful, well-constructed way and then try it out. Odds are the first time a flipped class is offered, it's not going to work. Hopefully it does, but there's always going to be things that you can improve on. And that's what's really great about having, if again, if it's a 16-week course, having a 4-week, 8-week, 12-week, and final course evaluation. So a responsive instructor can really, you know, sort of tailor the instruction to what the students need. Because, again, with that theory that suggests or, or the research that suggests that we tend to teach how we were taught, I never took the flipped class. I never engaged in that. Uh, I've taught flipped classes. I've never engaged in it myself as a learner, though. So there's always things that I can do better. And the only way I can find that out is by asking the students. So I think about it. I do like the Wiggins and McTeague backwards design as an approach. Try it out. Tweak it as you need to. And the great thing about it, what some people, you know, may annoy them to no end, is that there's never the end, period, on any online course. Because the content's always going to be in flux. You're going to, you're in, as an instructor, you're going to grow. Your students are going to change. What may be a great online course one semester may need some hardcore revisions the next time it's offered and so on because different groups of learners learn differently. It's really true. These online offerings, they aren't really done. They're always evolving, and it's really incumbent upon us to continuously improve them. Now, as much as we'd like to think we've refined online learning over the past 20 years or so, there's still somewhat of a stigma. Mileage varies among learners. The last I checked, the word module is not a four-letter word, but, you know, given the reaction, you know, we wonder sometimes, uh, they're not always so popular. Why do you think perceptions about online learning are sometimes negative? Wow. That is a great question, and I, I think a lot of it speaks to the fact that folks have never really engaged with a thoughtful, well-crafted course. Uh, the most recent statistics I've seen were from 2013. It was the banner year for online courses where roughly a third of students in post-secondary education were enrolled in at least one online course. Here we have this, this assumption that everybody's doing it, that everybody's enrolled, everybody's taking online courses, yet the highest it's ever been is a third. 
So online education, as widespread as it is, is not as ubiquitous as we might think. So a lot of the really good stuff out there, students just haven't engaged with it yet. So they may have perceptions that are negative. We see commercials where they're like, oh, you can take classes in your underwear and sign up now and all this for-profit nonsense. And I think a lot of that really detracts from it too. One interesting thing I used to do with my students would be I would ask them, I'd say, you know, how comfortable would you be with going to an accountant who got their degree online? Folks, yeah, that's fine. I'd do that. How comfortable would you be with going to a mechanic who got their degree online? Yeah, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, and a little less sure. The thing that always got me, though, how comfortable would you be with sending your kids to a class where the teacher got their degree online? Oh, I'd be fine with that. Why is that? And then the discussion sort of opens up and you really get some insights into how people perceive learning. People who put a great deal of value into learning reflect more positively on it. And many of the students that I worked with were in colleges of education where the courses that they experienced were really, really good ones. So they saw that as, hey, you know, I, I would take my kids could, could enroll in a class where a teacher got their degree online. The one thing that always stuck with me, though, was anytime you'd ask them, well, would you go to a physician who got their degree online? Everyone said no. Every, at least in my experience, I, you know, that's a very small uh, sampling framework or population there, but sample size is low. But they would always say no. And I thought that that was really interesting because now we see online uh, medical schools and, and things like that really becoming popular um, more so. But I think the perceptions of online learning are negative just because people have not interacted in a positive way. They're in those courses where they sign up. The instructor's not there. They're not getting that triangle that we talked about. They may not be able to interact with other students. They may not be getting feedback from their instructor in a timely fashion, and they've essentially paid a whole bunch of money to read some PowerPoint slides, and they may look pretty or whatever else, but they're not getting those levels of engagement or hitting on those six principles of adult learning that we talked about. That's an interesting point, the uh, physician example, and we've been sold the idea of virtual visits by doctors where they'll just, you know, teleconference in and be uh, evaluated by your physician. And I think some people uh, wonder if that would be the most effective way of being examined. Very interesting. Technology trends cause us to look at old things from new angles and, and ask ourselves what the value proposition is. Yeah, I think 10 years from now, maybe we'll go back, we'll listen to this, and we'll see because we might have some sort of virtual holographic Star Trek something. Yeah, yeah. who knows? <laughs> so where do you see all this technology-mediated goodness going? What's the future of tech-mediated instruction? Well, if I had my way and a magic wand, um, I'd just like to see more blended learning. I really think that that's a way where you can sort of get the best of both worlds, where you can hit on that comfort of folks that are more classical and, and were educated in a brick-and-mortar type face-to-face -face instruction, and then you can show them the benefits of the quality online learning. You can, you can really expand what they can do with extension resources and have them do things outside of the class that time may not allow for. And, that, to me, is just so, so powerful. Beyond that, uh, personalized learning networks are something that you're hearing more and more about. These are becoming wildly popular, where students are able to sort of pick and choose a la carte different elements and, and, and different things that matter to them, and they're able to pull them into a, a learning management system or an LMS. Uh, and I'm really excited by, by that. And for me, this started about 10 years ago with a researcher named uh, Becky Packard, who came up with an idea of composite mentoring. And her idea was that uh, women and, and minority folks or, or folks with, with limited social power in, in that sense 
have a hard time finding mentors or people to look up to often because those people may not be in roles of power. So what they her her theory was that you know that people develop these composite mentors and that's something that always stuck with me. And you may pull something from this person, something from that person, and sort of bring it all together to create this ideal mentor that you can emulate and learn from and so on based on where you're at in your career, your life, and, and, and what have you. And I really think that that sort of translates well to online learning, where you can, and it's a, for me it works as an analogy for those personalized learning network, networks, where you can pick and choose, bring in the things that you need to to help you learn, thereby share them you know, with your peers, uh, the student-to-student interaction we talked about, and sort of create a, a greatest hits of, of learning examples and activities. And I really think that that is something that we'll be seeing more and more of, um, that ability to sort of differentiate the instruction based on the learner. I think it takes some of the pressure off the instructor or the facilitator of the course, and I think it's a super powerful tool, and, and we might see more of it in the future. I relate to that quite a bit. In my own life, I've looked to various people as heroes, and you want to model attributes of this one and that one, and by the time you're done, you've got this sort of a composite of different attributes all rolled into one ideal of what you aspire to be. So in a learning construct, I think that applies. Yeah, and I, last I checked, I believe she was at Mount Holyoke, uh, Becky Weiling Packard. hope I'm saying her name right. Uh, I only met her once, but she's a wonderful woman with a beautiful mind and such a great theory that can apply to so many different things. Well, I'll be looking up that. I'll also be looking up Blend Kit. Yeah, the UCF Blend Kit. It's a, they have, University of Central Florida has one of the largest as far as public uh, post-secondary schools go in the U.S. They may have the largest online student population there. Absolutely huge program, tons of great resources, and much of that is you know available for the public. Yeah, I've benefited from them myself. Their uh, iTunes U page has wonderful audiobooks, and I've gotten stuff there tremendous resources. Absolutely. Well, Joe, this has been a great conversation. Would you be willing to come on again in the future? Anthony, if you'd have me, it would be my absolute pleasure. Thank you again. And thank you. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University. 